Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. In chapter 13 of my book, Expat Secrets, I talk about the importance of studying a second language and living overseas for the last 20 years has shown me that English is not always enough. I think if I didn't speak Spanish when I was hitchhiking and backpacking through Latin America for 18 months, I literally would have gone hungry some nights. And if I didn't have basic understanding of Chinese, I never would have been able to navigate the subway systems and get to the places I need to go. But when I started learning languages, all we had were some pocket dictionaries and maybe some cassette tapes that you put in the car. Otherwise, your best bet was some expensive one-on-one lessons. Today, with online learning, the possibilities are almost endless. Actually, so much so that it's hard to know which courses to take. Well, I have gone through many language courses, and by far my favorite was created by Ollie Richards at I Will Teach You a Language. I enjoyed his work so much, I reached out to him to be a guest on the show, and we have now become fast friends. My wife now makes fun of me and asks me how my bromance is going. (laughs) Ollie was nice enough to offer a special deal to listeners of the Expat Money Show for his courses on language learning. So to knock $100 off your beginner level courses, I want you to go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish for the Spanish language, expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Italian for the Italian language courses, and expatmoneyshow.com forward slash French for the French language courses. My family and I are currently taking the Spanish course, and it is awesome. If you want to join the same course that I'm on, then just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish and claim your $100 off the cover price. Okay, let's do this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest has traveled the world and taught himself eight foreign languages. He says he can teach you the secrets to learning a foreign language quickly using innovative story-based methods that put the fun back into learning. His philosophy involves making your language learning fit around your lifestyle, tolerating mistakes, and enjoying the journey as much as the destination. Please welcome to the show, Ollie Richards. Ollie, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you for the uh, nice introduction and for the invitation to, to chat. Straight off the bat, eight languages. That just absolutely blows my mind i i i gotta ask what are the languages yeah so in okay in so in chronological order um i have learned uh, french italian spanish portuguese japanese cantonese arabic and then uh smatterings of german and 
tie uh, as well. I don't think I've forgotten anything there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's important to say that not, not all of those are completely fluent. Like some of those I've learned and then since forgotten, other ones I haven't used for a long time. So, you know, it's a kind of big mix of languages and, and, and levels. The most interesting thing straight off the bat, and I guess the one that strikes me, is that we're not just talking about eight Romance languages that are very similar. Like you said Cantonese and Japanese and even some Thai in there. Like those are some pretty different languages. Yeah, they are. And um, I think this is kind of what has what, what ended up really eventually giving me the confidence to actually start to teach this stuff. Because, you know, when I so French was my first foreign language and um, I, I, I worked hard at that. I got quite good at French and that gave me the confidence to go on and learn other similar languages like Spanish and Italian. And then um, but it was when I moved to Japan and many years later that I really actually struggled and had a really hard time because Japanese was my fifth foreign language, but I, I crashed and burned with it at first because what I discovered was that you can't, you have to use different approaches for different languages and the stuff, the way that I learned um, French, for example, just didn't work with, with, with Japanese. So it's actually through going through a lot of difficult processes with difficult languages that I kind of refined my understanding of, of, of exactly how, how we how we learn languages how we remember things how we make sense of different ways of expressing yourself um so yeah it's it's been um well it's, it's what i love doing but it's been a very interesting experience wow well i guess we should jump in like where did this love of languages come from like i i want to go back a couple of minutes and and kind of get into the backstory like where did this really start because you you say that you went to japan but that was already your fifth language yeah so for me, it's never really been about the language. It's been about the people. I'm a real people person. And what I love more than anything else is communicating with people, like doing podcast interviews, for example, my favorite thing, because I just like talking to people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I was, uh, so I grew up monolingual. When I, was a, when I was a kid, I had no exposure to foreign languages whatsoever, other than, you know, your sort of standard school classes, which weren't, weren't much to, to write home about. And uh, when I was uh, 18, I moved to London. So I'm, I'm from uh, the sort of suburbs and the, the countryside in the UK. I moved to London. And then I started to meet people from different countries. Because London's a very cosmopolitan place. You can, you, you'll find people from, from China, from Japan, from France, from Brazil, you name it, they're in London. And I started to just, my eyes started to be opened to this big wide world of people out there. And I just started to get this, this insane curiosity about these people. You know, I'd have, I've had, I'd have Spanish friends telling me about all the wonderful food they had back at home. I'd have like, um, I don't know, it, it, Italian friends telling me about their, 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 their ski trips to the mountains. And I just thought this was all like incredibly romantic and, and impressive and uh, so much more interesting than rainy, rainy London. And so I just started, to, just planted this seed of wanting to get to know these people more, get to know their culture a little bit more. I think I felt a little bit of, a little bit of shame, I think, about being this typical monolingual British guy who couldn't say anything in a, in a different language. And so I just had this urge to just broaden my horizons and start to learn um, to, to learn their languages so that I could communicate with them in their language. And I thought, you know, if I can do that, if I can talk to this Spanish guy in Spanish, I'd be, a, I'd be super proud. And so that's basically what I did. So do you think that that is one of the reasons that you're able to succeed so well in languages because your motivation is different or do you think that's just a bonus? I think motivation is the, 
is really at the root because it doesn't matter. You know, we can talk about techniques and methods and stuff like that, but ultimately it's the motivation of each of each person that carries them through. And, you know, motivation is not everything. You have to know what you're doing, but if motivation is not there, it's like removing oxygen from a fire. You know, the fire can't, 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 can't burn without oxygen. And so motivation is like the oxygen in, in, in your language. And you've got to have that. And, you know, for me, I was, you know, I was 19 at the time, right, when I started learning languages. So there was a good combination of factors. I had plenty of free time. I was really motivated. I was young, had lots of energy uh, and, um, and was just, you know, could go out and hang out with people and spend time doing that. So it was a good, it, there was the right circumstances at the time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, when I first started with my first foreign language, which was French, I had no idea what I was doing. So, you know, it was my motivation that kind of came, that carried me through ultimately. And, um, you know, we can talk, we could talk about some, some sort of specific approaches later, but I, I think that anybody who's asking themselves, you know, how do I actually, you know, what is it really about? What's it really going to take for me to learn another language? You've got to be motivated. If you treat it like filling in a tax return or, uh, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. You've got to engage wholeheartedly with the, with the process and, and, and the people. Well, I think from my own life, like when I remember back, when I hitchhiked and backpacked through Central and South America, I spent five or six weeks living with a family in Guatemala and doing five hours a day of one-on-one -on -one Spanish lessons. And literally at the end of five weeks, I was like fluent and could get around and have full-on conversations and talk to my host family and go to the bar and order drinks and do everything that I needed to do. And I proceeded to travel for another year, and that language was just so valuable to me. Um, and even now, 15 years later or 18 years later, um, and about to relocate back to South America, I'm having to go through documents in Spanish. I'm, you know, real estate things and speak to real estate agents in Spanish. And somehow it's still there. But my wife is from China and I've been studying Chinese for more than 10 years. And although maybe I could order some, some chicken and some fish and maybe find out where the bathroom is or get a, a glass of wine, that's kind of the extent. You know, maybe I know 50 words or 100 words. And it's like, and that's 10 years of study. So I don't know. I think that uh, being in a, in a spot where you're forced and, and the motivation, um, you know, for me when I was there was like, am I going to eat or not, um, played a big part. Now it's like, well, I don't actually need Chinese. I just want to learn it. Now, this is an interesting question because like, obviously you're motivated to learn Chinese. Your wife is Chinese, right? But I would assume that you guys speak in English oh, 100% in, in English yeah so there you've got the motivation but not the, not the conditions mm. not the not the the, the right um, uh, surroundings and so it's got to be a combination of things you've got to create some kind of necessity um, and you know it's, it's, it's often very interesting when you talk about uh, couples international couples uh, learning each other's languages because there's always these kind of power dynamics within a relationship like in the nicest possible way. Right. But there's always a dominant language. And so the person, and for, for us English speakers, uh, you know, if you're with, if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone who is from, who's had, who has a different mother tongue, usually they're going to be good at English. Usually you've met through English 
And so they hold all the cards when it comes to the kind of linguistic power balance, as it were. And, you know, it can be tempting, it can be easy to think, well, you know, if my wife is Chinese, that means it should be easy for me to learn Chinese. And then I'm sure when you tell your friends that you're learning Chinese, they probably say to you, oh, well, Mikhail, it's, um, it's easy for you because your wife's Chinese. Of course, of course, you should be fluent, right? But what they don't understand is that you you cannot just like flick a switch in your relationship and then suddenly start to communicate in Chinese because doing so would, act, would would change the entire nature of the relationship. You can't have meaningful conversations anymore. You everything takes ten times as long, and so it's very very it's usually very very difficult in relationships to actually get you know use your partner for speaking practice as it were so you've kind of got this strange situation where you, you're highly motivated because your partner's from that country and speaks that language but you can't really use them as a resource which means you're actually kind of back stuck in the same situation as everybody else where you've got to go out and find your own opportunities to, to speak and to practice uh, and it's a very very interesting dynamic but but what you've pointed to is the, the major difference is that you know when you're in Costa Rica? So was it Costa Rica or Guatemala? You said Guatemala. Guatemala. Okay, so you you were you were completely immersed. You had to speak if you wanted to eat, and that's what you know. That's what results in in, in the progress. But Chinese for you, and it's like this for most people as well. Learning foreign languages is it's more of an intellectual exercise. And you're studying in classes with textbooks, but that doesn't create. The, these kind of these conditions where you're forced to speak and you're forced to communicate, and so that's really the secret uh, is as a, as a learner, hey, how can you create that necessity? How can you create these information gaps, as we call them, where you've got to communicate, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, you've got to find a way to do it. That that's that's kind of getting to the crux of uh, what it takes. So is it kind of like a recipe? So one part is motivation, another part is necessity and the third part would be like technique yeah i mean i think it's difficult to i, I think you know you can break it down into a hundred parts or you can just keep it very simple and um and uh, i mean so when i when i when i when i break down the the process of actually practically learning a language you know i'll, I'll say well you know just to begin with you've got to be motivated right so let's just assume that you're motivated because if you're not you're gonna you're gonna find it difficult right so so we have to, motivation has to be a given and then we kind of put that to one side so would you say motivation is the same as interest like like i am 100 percent interested in learning chinese i want to learn chinese very much um motivation like i don't I know that I should be doing it, and then I'm and I'm and I'm still not really doing it. That's the key right there. So, mo what motivation has to do is to translate into action, because you know you can say I'm interested, I'm motivated till the cows come home, but if you don't actually sit down and do any work, then it's it's all for nothing, right? So, mo what motivation has to do is to translate into action, and so this is this is this is where we this is where. It, the rubber hits the road. So you have to be motivated to actually take action and, and interested enough to do so. And, and then specifically what that means, if we were going to keep it really simple is first of all, you have to just get a base level of knowledge, a foundation in the language. So that could be as simple as studying your way through a couple of textbooks or taking an online course or something like that. You've got to just have a foundation of knowledge, right? So you have to know, you know, basic words in the language, how the grammar works, the pronunciation, all the, all the basics. 
um, then you've got to start communicating, which means you have to regularly speak. And one thing that people consistently and reliably get wrong is they think that I'll study first and then I'll speak when I'm ready. But it doesn't work like that because you will never feel ready because confidence in speaking and indeed fluency comes from speaking itself. Now, fluency is not the end goal. Fluency is the, the, the means by which you actually become fluent. It's through speaking that you develop that competence and that confidence. So you've got to start speaking way sooner than you are comfortable doing so. And you, and you remember that from your experience in Guatemala, you know, when you're first trying to order a beer in the bar, you're not quite sure what to say, but the 10th time you do it, you, you're getting good at it now, right? So you've you got to start speaking from the beginning. So it's a combination of that, getting that basic foundation of knowledge, and then plus lots and lots of actively using the language. Um, and then that's a kind of ongoing cycle. Well, I remember, I remember one time when we were out in, I don't know where it was, in Colombia or something like that. And I said to the bartender, necesito uh, con gasolina, not con, uh, con gaseoso. So it's like I wanted something with, <laughs> I wanted like a sparkling water or something like that with bubbles. And basically I asked for, um, yeah, I think I asked for like a, a, a glass of water with gasoline or something like petrol. <laughs> he looked at me like I was absolutely mental. But yeah, doing those things where you actually, like I learned pretty quickly the difference between gaseoso and gasolina. <laughs> Right, and so you've got you've got kind of basic vocabulary things that you need to learn there, like the difference between gaseoso or con gas or gasolina, and that's just a question of kind of knowing those words. But then you've got different levels of actually using the language. So you know, if you're walking into a bar, like a phrase that everybody learns is una cerveza por favor, right? So one beer, please. But if you walk into a bar and sort of just smile and say una cerveza por favor, you sound a bit like a phrase book. Right, because that's just what everybody parrots out. So you know, there's the next level from that is is being able to walk into a bar and sort of behave in the way that you would when you're back home. So if you're you know if you're if you're back home and you walk into a bar, you don't just walk up to the bar and say a beer please. You know, you say hey, how's it going? Um, I think I'll get a beer please. Cheers. Like you know, there's all these little words that kind of um, fillers and softeners that you put in around it, right? And so you know the the way to what you've ultimately got to do to feel comfortable in the language is to progress from walking into a bar and saying, una cerveza, por favor, and walking in and, you know, smiling at the barman and saying, hola, que tal? Um, me, me pones una cerveza, por favor? Gracias. Like, it's like, it's, it's that equivalent, right? It's, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'll, can you give me a beer, please? Thanks. That's natural, you know? That is how people really talk. And you've, and that comes but being able to do that naturally, it comes, you've got to order that, that beer a hundred times in order to kind of put all those things in place and then have the confidence to walk in like a local would and um, say the right things. So a minute ago, you mentioned that you have to have a, a certain amount of core competency before you start to speak. And, and maybe that's reading a couple of textbooks or taking some online courses. When do you think that people are, are ready? Because you said you'll never feel ready so you have to make that jump, but, but how, how do you know? How do you know when it's time? So I think the first thing to say is practicing or speaking a language does not mean walking up to strangers on the street and just, and just chatting. And I think a lot of people think of it like that. And that's why it's so scary. 
because if you're still a, a beginner in a language and the, you know the thought of walking up to someone on the street and starting to practice with them is terrifying and you know it's not something you do, you know you don't just walk up to random strangers in, in in when you're back home speaking english so you know why would you do it in in spanish right and so the, the, in, instead of doing that what i recommend that you do what i do with all my languages is you right at, from the very beginning you find what you could call a safe person so this is someone who understands that you're learning is willing and ready to help you can patiently sit with you and help you practice and so a person like this makes you feel very very comfortable and so there's no feelings of stress there's no feelings of nerves because once you get to know them this person can kind of help you practice everything you're learning and just patiently work through all of the, the, the language issues um, with you. And so finding that safe person is the key. So we'll talk, we can talk about how to find such a person, but the first step is to, is to imagine that if you can find such a person, then actually you can start speaking right from the beginning if you want to, because you're not nervous, you're not scared. So even if you know, you're learning Spanish and you, you, you have your first lesson or you work through chapter one of your textbook, and they teach you how to introduce yourself. Hola, me llamo Oli. Um, vivo in Inglaterra. Hi, my name is Oli. I live in, in the UK. Um, so now the next step, having learned that, or rather having seen it and practiced it in your textbook, is actually to go out then and speak it. Because once you speak it, then you start to internalize it. So with a safe person, you can actually go out and then start to practice that with them right away and then that person then will reply and they'll introduce themselves and then you can do you see what i mean so you're, you're just you're actually practicing this stuff right from the beginning and so you know you, i don't think you have to start speaking at the beginning in the in the in the language learning world there's a big debate about when is the right time to start speaking you know some people say speak from day one other people say um you know wait for a few months it doesn't really matter ultimately personally i prefer to actually study for a little bit before i start speaking just because it's not much fun to try to speak when you don't when you when you know literally nothing right so i prefer to have a you know a, a couple of months under my belt maybe before i start to speak but what matters is that you start speaking before before too long you know and the context here is that most people will study for years and years, feeling that they're not ready, feeling that they haven't mastered, mastered all the grammar yet, knowing that their vocabulary isn't like a native speaker. You, and, it, and, it's, and what happens is speaking builds up into this huge, terrifying thing that you never do because you, you're, just, you're focusing on everything that you can't do, on everything that you don't know. Instead, what you've got to do is focus on the stuff that you have learned and then, and then start to practice that through speaking. Because that is when you really start to actually know the language and be able to use it. I think this is so interesting because in my own life, like, I'm a very confident person. Like, I, I, I feel very confident. I'm very at ease at myself in, with people and having conversations. I can talk to a billionaire and have no problems and just chit-chat and everything is fine. But... Sometimes when I go to speak a second language and, and talk to someone, I, I get really nervous. Like I get like butterflies in my stomach and, I'm, and I know logically it doesn't make any sense. Like what's the worst that could possibly happen? Like even in my story, 
I asked for a glass of a glass of gasoline. He just looked at me funny and he's like, "You mean, you know, with gas, gas, gas?" He was like, "It's not the end of the world. I wasn't harmed. I wasn't hurt, but but I still got the drink. So like, why do I get so scared? Why why do people get so nervous about speaking another language and practicing?" Well, it's it's exactly because of the uncertainty over how the person is going to react, right? It's because you 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 know that when you're at an early level in language, you come across more like a sort of a child or incompetent teenager than an intelligent adult. So it it, it hits us in the same place that we feel pride, right? You know, you you're an you're an intelligent um, adult. But you know that when you open your mouth in a foreign language, that that all goes out the window because you can't convey any of your any of your personality, any any of your knowledge. Um, you can't even properly, uh, you know, put your social skills into action because you just don't have the the toolkit to do that in the language. So it just we 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 are like the person that we're speaking to. We put them up on a pedestal and we and we put ourselves right down. So it's status. It's status. Everything in life comes down to status, yeah. ultimately. But that's that's going a little. That's, that will take us down a different path. <laughs> but you know, in social interactions, it's all about status. It's all about how the how people um, think about us. When you're meeting that billionaire, you know, you're thinking about that as well. You know, you're thinking about how he's he or she is uh, is is looking at you and what they think about you. The difference is that you've got the skill set to to hold your own in that in that. Uh, in that environment but don't forget you know it's taking you 30 40 years to develop that confidence to do that right you couldn't have done that when you were 18 years old and so when you when when you're in a foreign language situation that's exactly what's going on you you are fully aware that you don't have the the toolkit yet Um, and yet is an important word right because you can develop it you don't have the toolkit yet and you're fully aware of that and you know that you're not going to be able to do the job that you would like to do when you go and speak to that person. And so this is precisely why you need to find this, this safe person or safe people with whom you can regularly practice your language to build up the confidence that gets you to the point where you then do have those social skills and you do, um, you do, you can hold your own in a conversation. And it's also important to say that, you know, holding your own, like conveying your personality and conveying and using the social, deploying the social skills that you want to deploy. It doesn't actually depend on linguistic perfection. You know, it's much more about, um, you know, body. They say that body language is some crazy high percentage of communication. Right? And it's completely true. You know, you can, you can, you can walk up to somebody in a different language, not and be only a sort of intermediate level, but through your demeanor, through your confidence, through you know knowing how to introduce yourself, still come across as very friendly and very uh, very competent and a very interesting person to talk to. You know, you can definitely do that, but that has to be developed as well. So, if one of the first steps is finding this comfortable person, I guess we should get into like a bit of advice on this, like. Do you find it best to to hire a teacher for this type of thing? Do you just meet someone? Is it your spouse, like we talked about before? What what have you found it works best in your life and, and with your students? Right. So there's, you've got lots of different options, and for me personally, it's changed over time. Um, the the what's generally regarded as the perfect situation uh, is 
for is to have a, a boyfriend or girlfriend who only speaks that language, right? So this is not practical advice for most people, but, but work, we will work back from there. We'll, we'll look at the ideal situation, then we can start, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what a lot of polyglots won't tell you publicly, um, and just to be clear, poly, polyglots being someone who speaks multiple languages, what a lot of you know, successful polyglots won't, won't mention publicly, but will tell you in private, is that the way that they've got very good at many of their languages is because they've had partners who, you know, usually when they're younger, They've had a, a girlfriend for a few years who only speaks mm -hmm. Chinese, for example. That's pretty standard among among a lot of people who know lots of languages. So what you're saying is polyglots are slags. <laughs> well, th there is there's a strong correlation. Let's just let's let's put it like that. Um, now it's not only that, right? But but the thing is, if if you, you you will find many many cases of guys and girls who have partners in who speak different languages and that's how they have learned and now, so why is that successful it's because they have been intimate with somebody in another language for large periods of time all right so that's basically that that's that's a very sort of neat case study so that kind of falls into the necessity uh, bucket that we talked about before it ticks all the boxes you've got necessity you're also highly motivated um, you also have plenty of opportunity, plenty of exposure. So you're just, you're learning all the time. Um, and it's also an ideal situation where really like the, the, old, the ideal situation is really where the language is not the main point. So in a, in a relationship like that, actually you're interested in each other, right? And that's always better because then the language is just playing second fiddle. And what, what will happen is when you've got another, another reason to communicate, the language will take care of itself because you're not focusing too much on it. You know, you're not too worried about it. If you know, if you get a job where you're forced to speak another language, uh, you will learn that language really quickly. Mostly because you're focused on doing a good job, right? And so the language, you just have to get your language skills together to 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 execute on on the job. So okay, so I remember back when I was learning Spanish, and I had two Spanish teachers. My first one did not speak one word of English, and we would constantly get stuck because she couldn't even take the the one minute to explain a rule or explain something. And my second Spanish teacher spoke English, but would not speak English with me. Like she was very forceful. We would only speak English if it was like, quote unquote, like an emergency. Like if I needed a rule explained, fine, we'd do that in English for two seconds and then we'd be straight back to Spanish. Do you think in this example of a partner who doesn't speak English, when, and of course we're just going f from English because this is both of our base language, but I mean, is it better to have a partner who literally speaks no English or one who speaks a little bit but is um, obviously yeah. more confident in their native language? Well, the thing is, it's kind of a moot point, right? Because it's not like you can engineer this stuff anyway. <laughs> Fair play. But we are talking about ideal situations. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, just curious. Yeah, so I would say I would say in that situation that it's always better to have to be one hundred percent in the target language, because although you'll get stuck from time to time, actually those bits where you get stuck, that's where you learn because that's where you're forced to 
um, to, for example, find different ways of expressing yourself, where you're able to what's called paraphrase. So you're you can't say it in something in this way. So you can't you, you don't know the word for microphone. So instead, you say the thing where you that you speak into, right? And so that's how you actually develop skills through necessity. Necessity is 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 just the the ultimate kind of the is the ultimate teacher because you have to find a way to 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 communicate um now you mentioned teachers one of the one of the things that we have to kind of pass apart here is 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 the difference between a teacher and a language partner or or a or a romantic partner or or whatever because there's a certain dynamic when it comes to teachers where they are intending to quote unquote teach you and you are expecting to be taught and there's usually a time limit on that session as well of like one hour so there's a dynamic there where there are a lot of expectations and baggage being brought into that session and teachers usually feel a, a need to kind of demonstrate their worth as it were by teaching you stuff explaining rules things like that but that's not to say that that's necessarily the best way to go about it so you know if we go back to our ideal situation where you've got um, boyfriend or girlfriend who speaks the language and doesn't speak English and you spend all your time with them. How do we work back from, from there? Well, you can do one of two things generally, and this is where it gets practical. So practically speaking, you can do one of two things. First of all, you can do what's called a language exchange or a tandem in North America. It's, I think it's known as a tandem. We, we tend to say conversation exchange or language exchange. And that is basically where you, you, you find somebody who is also learning a language. And there are websites where you can find these people. I can, give, I can tell you what, which ones I recommend. And then um, you would meet up and you would spend, for example, one hour speaking in Spanish and one hour speaking in English. So you're just exchanging your, your languages. Now, this is good because the person that you're with knows exactly what it's like to be learning. Right, because they're in the exact same position, just the shoes on the other foot linguistically. They're learning English, you're learning Spanish. So they are often really patient and really helpful because they know exactly what it's like to be a beginner in a language. So the dynamic is quite similar between the two of you. Exactly, yeah. Logistically, it can be a challenge. I mean, I, attend, I recommend with language exchanges that you stick completely in one language for half the time and then completely in the other language for half the time. Because there's, otherwise there's a tendency to rely, to slip back into English. That's what usually mm -hmm. happens. So it's good to be strict with that. The disadvantage of a language exchange is it takes lots of time, right? So if you want to speak Spanish for an hour, you've then got to speak English for an hour. And so for, so like when I was younger and I was, I was getting my languages together, I do tons of language exchanges because they were free. And I also just liked hanging out and meeting mm -hmm. new people. So that was great for me. Much, much of my language ability, I've, I've developed through language exchanges, but because at the core, it's a safe person who you feel comfortable making mistakes in front of and just taking risks. Right. And that, that's the key. So for many people though, that's not, uh, that's, it's not ideal because it takes too much time. So in that situation, then your second option, so option number two is then to go and actually hire a, a speaking tutor or a speaking there's no official name for this, but I, I tend to call them a speaking partner. That's what I call them. And the reason I call them speaking partner is because they are not teachers. And it's an important distinction, right? Because a teacher will, 
like we were saying before, will expect to come in and quote unquote teach you. They want to, you know, prove their, justify their expense and do their professional thing and teach you stuff. But you don't want that at the beginning. You can, you can learn all the stuff you need from your textbook. What you want is someone who will just speak with you, help you practice speaking, help you try to express yourself, help you um, practice certain things. And so a speaking partner is ideal for that because then their only job is to speak with you in the language for an hour or, or whatever. And then they're also familiar because this is what they do. They're also familiar. Then they know what it's like. You know, you're not the first beginner they've spoken to basically. They're patient. They're usually friendly. And the real advantage of this is, is that you get to spend all of the time in like practicing your language. And also because it's not a professional teacher, it also tends to be quite a bit cheaper. Um, and so, you know, I, I'd often, if I'm practicing my languages, I'd often like get an, an hour of speaking time with, with a native speaker for like $10 US, something like that. Uh, so it's really affordable and you can do it quite a lot and, and get lots and lots of, of speaking practice. I love this idea. So would you just find just a random person for this or there, or do people actually do this as a job? Cause I've never even heard of this, but it really makes perfect sense it does doesn't it and it's great for those people because you can you might have like let's say i'm learning japanese uh I've, when i've done this before when i've been practicing japanese in the past i've actually i would have i would speak to a housewife in japan and so i'd have sessions in the morning it's like 8 a.m for me and it's like you know i don't know 3 3 p.m in japan they're sort of sitting at home not doing much they've got a couple of hours till the kids come home from school they can just get on skype for an hour and make a bit of money and, um, you know, so you can imagine that for in Japan, that's one thing, but if someone's doing that in South America or someone with a little bit less buying, buying power, those 10 us dollars, that's a huge amount of money. So people can actually, it's a brilliant system because people all around the world can make extra cash. And sometimes in some cases make really good money for, for where they are. Uh, and then it, it's, it's, it's all they have to do is kind of sit and talk. So they don't need that specialized education or skills or anything like that. Just their native language is enough. I'd even say it's better that they're not a professional teacher because, because, because they're, not, they're not trying to teach you stuff. They're just trying to practice and correct you. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a subtle but important uh, distinction. So how, how have you, how, and in, you can use this as an example or, or um, any other advice, like how would you find someone like this? Is there websites for this or do you just make a friend online like... Yeah, I would go to italki.com, um, which is I-T-A-L-K-I.com. And italki, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of uh, websites like this, but italki is the most established. Um, I, I really like them as a company. And there you, it, it's basically a kind of teacher search engine, big directory of teachers, but you can select between professional teachers and what are called community tutors. And community tutors are a bit like what it sounds like, right? They're not professional teachers, but they're just, helping out they're just offering they're offering their language and their time in return for usually a pretty uh, affordable um, payment so whenever i want speaking practice um, online which is often because it's very convenient because you can schedule it at any time that works for you uh, i just go to italki and I, and I look up people and i and i book book sessions so in your own life do you do it to keep up to date with your eight languages or or do you only do it when you're trying to learn something new uh so well <clears throat> my case is a bit different because you see like i i 
I, I don't manage to keep up all my languages, to be honest with you. I, I've tried to in the past, but it just takes up too much time. Um, and, and also, I, because I don't need my languages at the moment, where, where I am in, in, in London, I mean, some I do. I tend to speak Japanese quite a lot, Spanish quite a lot, Cantonese quite a lot. But Arabic, for example, I've, I've pretty much let go because I just have no need for it here. Um, and so I don't actively keep up all of my languages. I live in the Middle East and I don't need Arabic. <laughs> It's like, you know, I've been here for eight years and I know about 20 words of Arabic and I've, nev I've never, not once been in a situation where I needed to speak Arabic. But that's because you're in the Gulf. If you, went to, if you went to the Levant or to, you know, North Africa, then it would be a slightly different. Well, in North Africa, you'd probably be better off with French, I think, a lot of times. Depends, yeah. In Northwest Africa, yes. Algeria, Morocco, yeah. But in Egypt, where, where I lived for a while, um, Arabic is quite important to know some of anyway um but yeah so in my case i actually personally these days prefer to do face-to-face -face sessions either with a teacher or or, or, a or a conversation partner but the only reason for that is you know in my case i work online you know i, I have a, a a language business you know we create courses and we write books and things like that and so i spend a lot of my time on the computer so i actually like to have face-to-face -face time it just gets me away from the screen gets me out of the house sort of, you know spending time with real people so i actually don't mind it's more of a social thing for me now really do, doing this stuff so I, I would kind of do a, a language exchange with a japanese person for example spending some time speaking japanese and english and we just go for a coffee and have, have a good time you know um so that's what i tend to do but i, I don't have any particular agenda you know i'm not in a big I'm, I've kind of done the learning thing now. For me, for me, it's more like about just maintaining the language or, or, or using it. But for most people, you know, if you're, if you're in the kind of active learning phase, you've got to do a lot of it. And I, I would recommend, you know, if possible, I, the, the ideal situation, I think, is to spend half an hour speaking every day, five days a week. That, that's a very good uh, situation to be in. But even if it's just, you know, one, two or three times a week, um, you, you know, doing it online is is good because you can just fit it in around your schedule. You can do it in your lunch hour or after work or, or whatever. And do you think that you, in your own life, do you think you will try to learn a ninth language or do you think that you're just going to stay with the ones that you have and, and maybe more try to perfect them? Well, yeah, I think about this a lot. And, and the answer is I don't know. I think it will, it will change. See, I've, I've only ever learned languages for life reasons, you know? So I learned French because I went to live in Paris. I learned Portuguese because I had lots of Brazilian friends in London and I just thought they were the coolest people in the world. They are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's basically, if my life changes in a certain direction, let's say I go and live in Berlin, in Germany, then I would learn German. Um, if I... I don't know. It would have to be, it would, there would have to be a life event first that would kind of, that would spur me on to learn another language because I have a couple of times in the last few years learned another language. And then I, you know, made quite good progress with it, but then I've kind of come back home for whatever reason. And then I haven't needed it and it's just gone. You know, you can forget it as quickly as you can learn it if you don't maintain it. And so like I've, I've been through the school of hard knocks with that now. And I, and I tend to take the view that I would much rather 
sort of maintain languages that, that I, I can actually use on a regular basis, then, um, which in my case would be like Japanese, Cantonese, Spanish, Portuguese, than to just endlessly add, add, add to the list. It is fun to learn a new language, you know, but it's just, you know, once you've been through that experience of learning and then struggling to maintain it, you know, you just know that there's only, there's, 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 there's a limit to, to what you can do. Well, my first assumption when, you know, preparing for this interview and, you know, uh, reading books about languages is a polyglot would, their first and foremost love would be of learning languages. Like, it's so interesting for me to hear that you, you've come at it from a different angle, where actually your primary love is just communicating with people. Um, because a lot of times you could just think, oh, well, like, I love to communicate with people as well. I can do that in English. Like, uh, you know, that, that difference between wanting to communicate with them in their language opposed to forcing them to communicate in your language. I just think that's so fascinating. It is, but, but then, you know, it depends then on your level of interest in different cultures, I think, because, um, you know, I, I mean, everyone has different backgrounds. And it's important to say as well that, you know, I know plenty of people, a lot of my students, for example, are, they, um, they're very different situations. So, you know, a lot of my students are expats. They live in uh, Mexico or Spain or Italy or France or, or, or whatever. And for these people, um, I don't think they would necessarily say they have a love for the language on a kind of pure level, but what they do have is a real desire to fit into their local community. You know, if you go and live in another country, but you can't speak the language properly, it's more than a sort of um, academic problem. It's a very real problem and you can't communicate properly with the people around you, which means you feel a bit alienated, which means you're not really making the most of life and, and all of that. So, so, you know, for people in that kind of situation, it is, I mean, they may have a love for the language, but they've got a very practical need first and foremost. And the interesting thing about that situation, which, you know, many, many, this being an expat show, you know, many people will, will relate to this. You can, it, it's, it's actually more common than you might think, if not the norm to go and live in a foreign country and not, and it, despite the fact you're surrounded by the language all the time, not actually learn it. So I have lots of lots of students who live in Mexico, for example, and they go to Mexico thinking, uh, okay, when I, when I get to Mexico, I'll, I'll be fluent in Spanish in no time because everyone will speak Spanish to me. Not the case. Lots of people speak English. Uh, you uh, have friends or partners or whatever who can help you get stuff done. You don't actually have that necessity to learn. And so you're missing right there one of the key ingredients that we talked about earlier. You can be motivated, but if you don't have the opportunity to actually practice uh, and learn, then it's a big problem. So, you know, one of the, one of the things that I do with my, with my programs is, is create um, an a kind of immersion environment that you can learn from without, like all, all by yourself, basically, without having to kind of go out and, and rely on strangers for that, for that immersion. Um, because you've got to just, you've got to, you've got to spend lots and lots of time with, with the language. And it's very difficult to do if, um, if, if you don't have that real necessity to um, to learn. Now, on the other hand, there are people who, who are just in love with, with language or people who are just language, language lovers and they just love collecting new languages. They, you know, I, I know lots of people like that as well. There are all kinds of different people, but I think on the whole, 
you know, most people are learning languages because they have a real need to communicate. And so the, the language itself is kind of just a means to the end, a means to an end. I know that makes perfect sense. So I guess then talk to me a little bit about the, the tips or tricks or techniques, anything that, uh, however you want to call it, um, from a practical side, uh, when you are studying on your own, like I think of myself and, and I would always do like the flashcards, you know, do you find that they work or do you find that other methods work? What, what have you found in your life and with your students? Yeah, so there are lots of different lots of different language learning methods and techniques that they can all work for different people. But my so I I take an approach that is kind of well, it's kind of radical in the sense that I, I, I so I, I look at the language teaching and learning world, and what I see on the whole is a pretty broken system. Language teaching, on the whole, doesn't really work, and. If that sounds like a sort of extreme claim, you know, if you just look around you, think about your friends who have, who have learned a language and um, think of any friend that you, or person that you know who, who, who says, you know, I'm learning this language or that language. And then ask yourself how many of those people can speak the language fluently. Mm. And in most cases, it's virtually nobody. Uh, and the reason is that we take the, the way that languages are taught is through a very, very uh, kind of academic grammar led traditional approach now it's, it's not the same everywhere there are very enlightened progressive uh, teachers out there but on the whole the way that most people study and are taught languages is through um, grammar through lists of words through very structured classroom type exercises and this doesn't work for a whole host of reasons i mean it works in the sense that it's good for organizing class learning it's good for a sort of 19th century educational system where you can sort of standardize everything and test everything, but it's not the reality of how we learn, you know, compare that to your experience in Guatemala, you know, um, the, the different dynamics there. You probably didn't, I don't know how much you studied there. No, we were going for coffee. We'd go for a hike. We'd walk around the park and then we just make up conversations about anything like, uh, the color of the car or how to order the drink. And we would just do stuff and we just spend, you know, four or five hours a day together. She was a professional teacher. Um, and I could ask all the grammatical things if we needed to. And, and we did do flashcards and, and maybe some, um, not even workbooks, just a plain notebook. And I would write down notes and things like that. But a lot of it was just life. Right. So what you've had there, again, is a lot of immersion. And immersion is a word that I'm going to keep coming back to because the, how does a traditional classroom work? A traditional classroom works by teaching you grammar rules and then you practice those rules and then you have a list of vocabulary and then a bit of listening practice or something. It's all, it's all broken down into little nuggets of information. Okay. But that's not how we learn languages. The way that you learned Spanish in Guatemala was walking around, talking about things, listening to your teacher talk, chatting with the locals in a bar. It's the same way that a child learns their language growing up and their mother speaks to them all day long. Uh, in in their language and they don't understand anything at first but gradually it starts to make sense and then gradually as they get older they start to want to speak themselves and that is the foundation of, of real communication right so traditional learning traditional classroom learning it's great for organizing a school but it doesn't work in real life and so what i'm doing with with um with the way that i approach teaching is, I, is I, i'm taking a very practical view of okay look you are living in Mexico, you are surrounded by Spanish speaking people, but it's difficult for you to actually speak all day because 
they don't want to talk to you. They've got lives to lead, and you know, they're not going to sit sit out with you for an hour just chatting. You know, you've got you've got to you've got you've got to rely on yourself a lot more for for, for your learning. Okay? So, so what I would say to you is right. You, what you need to do is get immersion in the language one way or another. Okay, and watching TV endlessly or reading books endlessly doesn't work because it's too hard. And when it's too hard, you don't learn anything. If you've ever tried to watch a TV show in Chinese, you'll know what I mean. It's just it's a complete waste of time because it's just far too much, far too above your level. And so what I do is I tell you to go out and, and get the immersion through interesting material at your level. So if you are a beginner Spanish learner, maybe you've been through the basics, you've been through a textbook, you know a few things. The next step is to start to immerse yourself in the language through listening and reading specifically to interesting material that is just above the level that you're at. And this is really important for, for a few different reasons. Listening and reading, because then you get immersion and massive exposure to the language. And then you can, that's how you can learn, right? You don't have to learn. People think you have to learn grammar through rules. Not true. You can learn grammar naturally if you see it being used enough in, in, in context. Because you're listening and you're reading to material. So that's the source of your learning but you're doing it at a level that's just above where you currently are. And that's important because it means it's comprehensible. Yeah, that's a part that I think I've missed because I've been to China 50 times and we'll sit around with her parents, uh, with my wife's parents, and watch television. And within a minute, my mind is wandering to something else. And I'm like, no, I, I want to try to, I want to, you know, I, I'm thinking maybe I'll get an, get an ear for it, you know, like things will just start to work through osmosis. But within seconds, my mind's off somewhere else. Right. And, and, and the thing is, you can do that for years and still not make any progress. And this is why you get people who can live in foreign countries for 10, 20 years, but still not speak the language. In order to improve, you need to get tons of exposure, but it needs to be at the right level for you. That's what I've made a mistake at. Yeah, that makes this sense. This is the balance. So now imagine that instead of watching, instead of sitting down with, with your wife's family and you're watching like native Chinese TV, imagine instead that there are people having discussions that are at your level or, or just above. So you can understand already maybe 50, 60, 70%, but there is like 10 or 20% that you don't understand. Well, now that 10 or 20% is up for grabs and you can, you can start to learn that because you understand the rest of it. So you've got enough context. So my, my whole approach is to get you listening and reading, spend lots of time immersed in, in material that is, that is just above your current level. And for, for me, the best way to do that is through stories because with stories, stories are the, the foundation of, of all human communication, you know, right from the big, from the cave drawings in the, in the caves, you know, 10,000 years ago to the, the sitcoms you watch on TV to your favorite novels, to the gossip down the pub, you know, we live our life through stories. And so if you can find interesting, engaging stories in the language that you're learning, at a level that's right for you, it's it's just you know you've just got this magic combination there of immersion plus motivation plus interest, and so what people find is uh, that once they start to shift away from traditional learning, grammar rules, lists of words, flashcards, things like that, and then towards spending their time in the company of the language with material that they enjoy. They, 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 they just, their progress just goes through the roof because they are now learning at, in a kind of dynamic that is 
that's accessible. Okay, so, and I'm going to be a little bit greedy here. I am moving to Panama right now, Spanish-speaking country. I speak a decent amount of Spanish, but my wife and my mother don't speak any Spanish. What advice would you give maybe on these two different levels um, for us who, you know, I want to go from conversational to fluent and they want to go from nothing to conversational? Just going to take a quick break. Although I do speak Spanish, it is a little rusty. It has been a long time since I lived in Latin America, and I really don't practice much living in the Middle East. Well, this year, my family and I decided to relocate to Panama for the next stage of our expat journey. This will be the eighth country I have lived in as an expat. And to get ready for this move, I decided to start doing some online language learning. And the course I chose to do was from my friend Ollie Richards at I Will Teach You a Language. Ollie has been nice enough to offer listeners of the Expat Money Show $100 off the cover price for his online courses. I am taking his intermediate Spanish course, and my wife and mother are both taking the beginner courses, and we are all loving them. The way he uses stories to teach is fantastic and fun. If you are interested in taking the exact same course me and my family have decided to use to learn Spanish and claim $100 off the cover price, I want you to go to the computer right now and type in expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish. If you would rather learn Italian, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Italian or expatmoneyshow.com forward slash French to learn the French course. Okay, back to the interview. Enjoy. Yeah, okay, so let's take the first case, or, or the, the beginner case, rather. So that if for your, for your family, if they are complete beginners and they need to get to a point where they can actually operate in the language. So what do you need? You need a foundation in the language. Uh, you need to be able to understand what's going on. That's the first step, right? Because you can't speak if you don't understand. So um, what I would recommend to people is exactly what I, what I teach through my program. So I, I have a program called Spanish Uncovered, and it's called Spanish Uncovered because the whole methodology is uncovering the language through the through this listening and reading methodology. You don't have to do it through through a program like mine. You can do it all by you can do it by yourself. You have to go and just find the material. Um, but essentially, what I recommend you do is you go through a structured program where you just get that foundation of knowledge, and then accompany that with lots and lots of listening and reading, and. The listening and reading is important because that's that's going to help you understand. So the, the sort of structured program means you just learn the basics and then the listening and reading means you learn to understand. And if you know the basics and you can understand Spanish, then what will happen is as soon as you get the opportunity to speak, then you've got the, the information you need to actually start to talk. So, so that's what I mean. With my programs, I actually I combine them, right, because I – you know, you could say, well, just go through a textbook and then start to read afterwards. But I, what I prefer to do is to actually get you immersed in the language right from the beginning, because although it's a kind of different way of learning and people aren't quite used to it, um, what it means is that by the time you've been through the program, you've already spent lots of hours and hours actually listening and reading. So you've already, you can already understand Spanish. Um, so it's a very kind of immersive um, program. But either way, you've, you want to learn the basics and you want to make sure you get lots of, lots of exposure through listening and reading. You've just got to make sure it's at your level. And this is, the, this is the, the challenge with doing it by yourself. You've got to find material that is at the right level for a beginner. Rather, the reason that, that, that I created my programs is because 
it's the material is aimed at beginners. So the stories that form part of the program are written so that they're written to be comprehensible for, for beginners. So it all kind of ties together, but you know, you can go out and find this stuff by yourself as well. Um, and then let's take the intermediate case. So your case, you already speak some Spanish, uh, you're probably a bit rusty um, and you, you want to kind of take that step up to the next level. The same thing applies, but at a different level. So what I would advise you to do is exactly what I do in when, when I teach this stuff. So in my intermediate Spanish program, this is called the Fluent Spanish Academy. Um, I am aiming at people who are in, in your exact situation. So you already speak, you know, fairly, you know, you already speak some Spanish. You maybe you live abroad, but you're just not at that point where you can really comfortably communicate. Maybe there's too much that you don't understand yet when you listen to fast Spanish. Maybe you kind of get a bit tongue-tied when you're trying to speak Spanish yourself. So what you need is a rich diet of real, of real Spanish to fill in all the gaps. And so again, it comes down to lots of listening and lots of reading at a level that's right for you. So you need to go out and find material to to read and to listen to that's just above the level that you're currently at and again if you dig around if you dig around long enough or on the internet or in libraries you can find this stuff or else you go to someone like like me who has it all kind of on a plate for you so it's already there but one one key piece of advice i'd give you is to you know, beyond finding material that's at the right level for you is to find material that comes with a transcript or with the audio because it's great to read it's great to listen but what's even more powerful is to read and listen at the same time because then you can you can see what you hear and hear what you see so imagine that imagine that you're watching um so let's use your example of of, of your of watching tv in china but let's make it in, in Spanish here to, to keep the example congruent. So imagine you, you head to, to Latin America and you're watching TV in Spanish and same problem, right? It's far too hard. You really want to understand, but it's just too much for you. Okay? So step one, we reduce the level. We, we, we give you that TV show at a level that's right for you. So it's kind of intermediate Spanish. So now you can start to understand it because it's at the right level. So you've got here, you've got audio that's at the right level. Now, if you then imagine you have the transcript in front of you. So as you're listening along to this TV show, you can read every word that's being said. What happens there is that now if there's anything you don't understand or anything you don't quite catch, you can then see it written down, which means you instantly fill in the gaps in your understanding and you're strengthening your, your comprehension all the time. Similarly, if you're reading, if you, if you try and read a novel in Spanish, it's far too hard for you. So what do we do? We bring the level down. We bring the level up down to a level that's right for you. It pushes you just a little bit, but where you can already understand quite a bit. And, uh, and that's great. So now you can start to learn from this because it's at your level. But now imagine that it's not just the book, but you've also then got the audio with that. So that as you're reading along, you can also hear it being spoken. Then what you're doing is you're actually hearing what that Spanish sounds like when it's spoken quickly at a natural pace. So then you're developing your your ear, you're developing your ability to actually understand Spanish when it's spoken quickly. So you see how all this stuff fits together. It's about having this material that's at the right level so it's comprehensible. It's about strengthening your knowledge and giving yourself the opportunity to fill in the gaps by being able to read and listen at the same time. 
and then which this is what my this is this is the 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 whole basis of my teaching is why my 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 students often you know they'll have lived in mexico for 20 years in some cases and then over the course of like two or three months by following this process they just they jump to it to an insane level in the language because they're just unlocking all this stuff that's already in their head but they just haven't quite managed to um activate it yet so um so that's 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 the the power of it it's material at your level that is interesting and i recommend story-based learning the stories at your level with the audio and the transcript so you can follow along and then all you've got to do is do that every day Make sure you're getting that exposure every day, just like going to the gym every day. What happens if you lift weights every day? You get strong. Now, what happens if you eat healthy food every day? You feel better. You sleep better. The same with languages. You've got to be consuming the right stuff, and you've got to do it every single day, and then your brain will slowly but surely start to adapt. Okay, so with your course then, explain to me exactly how it works. Like if someone decides today decided that they love exactly what Ali is saying. This makes sense. You know, I want to do this. Um, first of all, I suppose, what is the URL or, or how they would get the course, but then really what their expectations would be um, when they got the course or hired you as a teacher? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, th th thanks for asking. So the, the, this, the, the Spanish course that I've been talking about, and this is the beginner, we have lots of courses, but the beginner program is called Spanish Uncovered. And, and you can find that at Spanish Uncovered dot com um, and then the course is all based on a story so you have a the foundation of the course is think of it like a book so it's a story in spanish that's written for beginners and it comes in 20 chapters now the story is written at a, in a very kind of very simple level so that even as a beginner you can begin to understand it so it's simple spanish but it's natural spanish and then the course is built on top of the story so what you'll do is you will come in and in module one, for example, the first thing I have you do, I throw you in at the deep end. Like I said before, this is the, this is the, 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 the methodology of the course. The first thing you'll do is you will read chapter one of the story and you have the text and you have the audio. So you will read chapter one and then you will listen to that as well. So you're reading and listening. And at that point, it doesn't even matter how much you understand. The important thing is that you're spending time, with Spanish. So your brain is starting to take in and absorb the language. So that is the first chapter of the story. So then what happens then is I come in and through a series of video lessons, I teach you Spanish by diving into the text, the story itself. And I will point out words that, uh, that, are, that are useful to learn. I'll, I'll kind of bring up a sentence on the screen and I'll say, and I'll, and I'll point out the sentence to you and say, okay, you see how that sentence works? Well, look at the grammar that's going on here. So I'm actually teaching you grammar by drawing it out of the story. And then we'll, we'll look at, at, uh, at vocabulary and then pronunciation lessons. Uh, but so in a, in a way, it's combining uh, a sort of traditional approach with the story. But the, the key difference is first you read the story and then everything that I teach you comes out of the story. And because you've already spent time listening, and reading to the story. What that means is you have all this lovely, rich context. You've all, you already understand what's going on. You've already spent time with it. And so rather than, rather than a traditional classroom where I just teach you a rule and tell you to practice mm -hmm. the rule, what I do instead is I actually get you to spend time listening and reading to Spanish. And then I kind of come in and sort of look over your shoulder and point out what's going on 
to you as you're as you're reading the story and this all takes place through a series of of video lessons and then um then you at the end of that you after that you have speaking activities speaking exercises pronunciation exercises and then this then that continues in that form over a full 20 module course so that by the time you've got to the end of the course you've actually already read an entire book in spanish which is hugely motivating and massively powerful for actually learning the language and then everything you've learned has been in these lessons with me that are based on the story. Does that does that make sense the way I've explained it? Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that you're doing it because I, I, I agree with you straight off the bat that stories are the fundamentals of of how humans are humans, how we got here was the passing of knowledge from one person to another through stories. Um, so it, it just makes perfect sense that that is a the best way to learn a language. And, and I put best in quotation marks, I suppose. But, um, but it does sound like a really powerful, powerful manner to, to learn. I think, it is, I think it is fraught with problems to, to, to sort of describe a best method. I don't say that my method is the best method because there are lots of different methods out there that work for different people. What I, what I, the, the, where I come from is to say that, look, if you have ever felt that there is something not quite right with traditional methods, that you've tried learning before and it just is not sticking, you're not able to speak, then you know that's the elephant in the room. And so what I try to say is like if if you're if, if that's you and if you have those, if you suspect that something isn't quite right, well what I've done is the antidote to that. And it is um it is it's it's how I've learned all my languages, it's how my, my students learn their languages. And so you know if you're someone who doesn't like stories or you don't like reading, this is not for you. You know, if, if, if you prefer to learn with, uh, with, um, with uh, you know, group lessons and uh, drilling from a teacher and grammar exercises, then um, this is probably not right for you. But if you generally what I find is if, if, if people have sort of heard how I describe the approach, if it, if it resonates with you, then, um, you know, chances are that you'll find some, some value in it. So then I suppose talk to me about... And, and this is just a general question, but someone's expectations of time to learn language. Is it really a, the more time you put into it, the faster it will go? Do you need the, the spaced repetition? If someone decided that they wanted to learn a new language and they had all the, the ingredients uh, that we had talked about before, like motivation and the desire and need and a bit of the techniques, what would be the expectations for someone learning a new language? Yeah, well, it is very much a piece of string type situation, um, you know, because uh, Chinese will take you longer than Spanish. That's just straight up fact. Um, it's a harder language. It's more distant from English. Um, by the same token, you know, you and I could both spend six months exactly studying a language. You take one approach, I take another, we'll get different results. But I think what I, the best, what I would probably say is, um, Last year, I learned um, Italian, and uh, I, I had very briefly studied some Italian about 20 years ago, but um, I went back and started to learn it properly last year, and I did it over a three-month period, and it was a bit of an experiment because I was using, I actually was using, to learn Italian, I was using the method that I've been describing to you here, this input-based, you know, immersion-based story method. And so I actually went and I used that method and I learned Italian myself using that method. And I actually documented the whole thing. So if you go to, to my YouTube channel, um, 
So if you go to, to YouTube and just search for Ollie Richards Italian, um, what you'll see is a, it's, it's a full documented language challenge. So I learned Italian from scratch um, using this method. And every week I released a new video where I was kind of documenting my progress and talking about what I was doing. And after three months, I actually got on a plane and I went to Venice in Italy. And I, I sort of recorded a, um, a video there in, in Italy of me actually going there and actually using Italian and speaking Italian after those three months. So it was a fantastic project. I kind of devoted the whole, the whole summer to it. And what you'll see if, if you watch that is that by the end of those three months, I was having long form conversations in Italian. So I recorded one, one 45 minute, um, you know, unedited, uninterrupted Italian uh, conversation uh, with a, with a, an Italian guy and we were, just, we were just kind of talking about language methodology. So it was quite fairly complicated stuff, but um, I was very, very comfortable and confident in Italian after, at the end of those three months. And uh, in this particular series of videos, you can kind of see that blow by blow. And um, that is what's possible. Not everybody would be able to do that in the same period of time that I, that I did. Yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a lot of experience doing this. I've done it before. But I think the lesson to draw from that is that if you use a smart approach, a smart method, which is kind of based on what I've been talking about with lots of immersion at your level with enjoyable material like stories um, and you are motivated and you spend time every day, then, you know, you really can uh, learn a lot very quickly. And then really working back from there, it, you know, every you know, the less that you can do those things, the longer it's going to take you. But when the ingredients are all in place, you know, you can, especially with a romance language like Italian or Spanish, you know, you can have a very, very good level in, in the space of a few months. Awesome. I guess I kind of want to wrap things up with maybe some misconceptions that people have. And, and I'm going to say misconceptions because I already have my own beliefs about this. But I guess the, the the excuses that people will make straight off the bat, and maybe you can answer these for me. Um, is someone too old to learn a language? Absolutely not. Um, if anything, what I find is that the older you get, the, the better studier you become. Because you know, I compare eighteen year olds who have who have the attention span of a, of a fly on social media all day long um, with people I know who are older learners who who have got the sort of discipline to sit down and actually apply themselves to, to something. Um, you know, it is, uh, it is absolutely possible. And, um, you know, if you, on my web, my website is full of testimonials from students of mine who are in their seventies, who have had great success with, with learning through, through, well, through the kind of methods that, that I talk about. And so, uh, you know, if they can do it, then anyone can. Well, because all the time I hear from people that they, they seem to believe they have this, this mental block in their head that they have to have been speaking it since they were a young child. It's, it's easy for a kid to learn language, but it's, it's extremely difficult for an adult to learn a new language. There's a few things to say about that. First of all, there is, um, there is research that shows that a bad memory, and often the way that people talk about languages, um, is has to do with memory. They'll say, oh, I, had a, I have a bad memory. I don't remember things. Uh, well, for a start, memory is a self-fulfilling prof prophecy. So if you believe 
they did, there's a fascinating study where they, where they got people to articulate their views on memory and then uh, tested them, gave them memory tests shortly afterwards. And those people that, that expressed um, negative associations with memory, you know, basically saying, I have a bad memory, performed worse in those tests than the people who, um, who expressed positive views about it. So they've actually shown the more that you say or think that you have a bad memory, the worse your memory is. Because memory is, it, it's a combination of lots of different things. I mean, it is, you've got, if you actively, you've got to actively set about <clears throat> learning things. You've got to apply yourself. And you've also got to do it with, um, with, with material that makes sense. So if you're trying to memorize lists of words, for example, or memorize grammar rules, that, I mean, that it's, it's a not a good way to do it. And yet this is how people are taught, right? People are taught traditionally with languages by receiving lists of words and rules of grammar. That stuff is very difficult to remember because there's no context. What, what people would find is if they actually switch to using a method that gives them lots of context, like what we've been talking about here, that actually draw on your natural powers, your natural brain power, the way that you naturally learn things, then you know, you will find that, uh, that you, that you, that you learn far easier than you, than you really thought possible. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Miko, you have a three-year-old, right? And you've, you've seen, you've seen firsthand the speed of language development. And in anyone that does have a small child will tell you that there is nothing fast about the way they learn languages. It takes years and years and years. And, you know, even a sort of five or six-year-old they can say lots of stuff, but you wouldn't really call it, you know, if it was an adult speaking like that, you'd call them extremely incoherent. So it's not true. It's not true that children learn languages faster than adults at all. What the difference is that children have a complete immersion environment and all the time in the world. And that is how they learn languages. It's not like they, they don't come out of the womb speaking fluently. You know, so as adults, what we need to aim to do is to give ourselves the we don't have to learn like a child because we specifically because we can learn faster by using instruction and study skills but what we do need to do is give ourselves the same opportunity to learn and what that means is lots and lots of exposure to the language through listening and reading to stories and things like that so that you you, you give your brain the opportunity to soak it up well and you hear all the time people go oh well the the child and and they have these these scientific explanations and I swear to God they're talking out of their ass. They say, well, a, a child has the the neural pathways and their brain is supple and they can build these new neural pathways um, quicker. And I'm like, are you a neurologist? Like, where did you come up with this? Yeah, it's all it's all it's, it's old wives' tales and, and and myths and 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 they're everywhere. Um, you know, I. But I think that it's difficult to persuade someone that that's not the case. I mean, listen, it is the case that memory deteriorates over time. I mean, a, an 80-year-old probably doesn't have the same, mem the same memory power as, a, as, a, as, a, as an 18-year-old, for example. But, that's not, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything by itself because an 80-year-old probably isn't applying themselves actively to learning things in the same way that an 18-year-old is. You, know, you, can out, you can outweigh any... Um, any any deterioration in memory by actually applying yourself in the right kind of ways. And that's precisely why they, the, the, the foreign language learning on average delays the onset of dementia by five years. It's because you're using your brain actively and keeping, you know, just keeping the old gray matter 
firing you know that's what that that's 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 what it's about so it really is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and you know if you just set about doing the right things um, you know there is there is um I mean, I, honestly, I, I just, ref, I just, I, I take my inspiration from, from my students and I, I see how successful they are. And, um, and it just, it just ridicules the, the whole concept that you can't learn when, when you're older, because there's just, there are just plenty of examples of people doing exactly that. Well, and then I guess the, the last misconception and, and I guess I'm by calling it a misconception, I've, I've already made my, my, uh, opinion known, but, um, I guess the last misconception is are any languages impossible? I get told over and over again when I tell people I'm trying to learn Chinese, oh, Chinese is impossible. <laughs> I mean, listen, what, what, is, what is true? What, what's true is that some languages are harder than others. And that is a very relative point, depends on, on, the, on, on your mother tongue. So as a native English speaker, Spanish is easier than Chinese. That's objectively true. Um, the reason is that, um, that, that Spanish grammatically um, and linguistically is very close to English. English has some Latin roots. Spanish has entirely Latin roots. So that's why you have a word like, um, for example, la nación and nation in English means the same thing, almost spelt the same. And there are tons of examples through, through those languages. Chinese, on the other hand, operates in a completely different way every single word you have to learn from scratch is different from english so it is it is much much harder you also have different writing systems and chinese characters so that is true and we can we can kind of take that as as, as objectively true whilst also recognizing that there are people who go to china and are fairly conversationally fluent within six months i mean that is standard and uh, i know plenty of people uh who have gone to to China or Japan or Hong Kong, and they go there for a short amount of time. They come back fluent in Chinese. So then the question is, well, how, why? And this loops right back to what we were talking about at the beginning about motivation and um, and environment. In a, you know, if if you did this, the, your your experience of learning Spanish in Guatemala, if you did exactly the same thing in China. You wouldn't be as good in Chinese as you were in Spanish because in Spanish you can do quite a lot of guesswork, you know, after a while. You can't do that in Chinese. Um, but by following the same process and maybe doing it for slightly longer, you get exactly the same results. What is, what is hard, I think, what makes it harder is if, and the, but this goes for any language, is if you're trying to learn in isolation and you're learning by yourself, you take your learning with, with, with traditional methods. Um, you're trying to just kind of learn everything through rote memory. Everything is hard in that situation, you know, but if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you, if you're getting immersion in the language, if you're getting exposure to it, if you're motivated, you're working at it every day, I defy anybody to do that and to not make massive progress in any language that they, they, they set out to learn. The person who is highly motivated to learn Chinese because they want to go to university in Beijing or they, they, you know, they're chasing a girl who they really like and need to impress their family or whatever, that, that, that level of motivation, the results that that person gets is going to far outweigh the person who 
is kind of half-heartedly learn, learning Spanish once a week in an evening class who doesn't really care that much. <laughs> you know, the, the person learning Chinese is going to get results that blow the Spanish learners results out of the water. So it's all with language learning. Anything is up for grabs. Absolutely anything. It all comes down to the extent to which you can summon that motivation, study in a smart way, create the right conditions for learning and, uh, and, and, and enjoy yourself as well. <laughs> because That's also very important. If you don't enjoy yourself, then, um, you know, you won't keep it up for long enough to learn. And this is partly why I'm such a big fan of sort of teaching through stories because it's fun. And when you have fun and you're enjoying your material, you'll kind of keep it up and you'll keep learning. And, um, you know, that, that's why we started off this conversation by talking about motivation and how motivation is the, the big deal breaker. Because if you're motivated, then anything is possible. No, I agree with that 100%. That totally makes sense to me. And, and yes, I did preface it mine with my own opinions. But I think it's so important that people understand these things, you know, like, because I literally hear it every single day. What One of these three or four, um, you know, prejudices against learning a language. Um, I guess the, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and this might go into how negative connotations with learning languages um, is about kids. A lot of times you hear people say like, you know, don't teach your child more than one language or, or, or some other arbitrary number more than two languages because it's just going to confuse them. What has been your experience with your daughter and, and with students that you've seen that have families? Yeah, oh, it's, it, it's, it, I, I really dislike this um, when, when people talk about this because I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's hugely damaging. I, this is a question that comes up on my, on my podcast, actually. So I have a, a podcast called the I Will Teach You a Language podcast where we, we talk about exactly these kind of topics. Um, and one of the questions that come, one of the most common questions is uh, about, kids and language learning um so you know i i remember a few years ago when i was living in japan i i went for for, for dinner one day with this family and the mother was japanese and the dad was american and they have a 15 year old kid and the dad he was, so he was um he was black american and so the daughter was also black uh, or was certainly a lot darker a lot darker skin than the mum, who was kind of very white Japanese. And so the daughter looked like a dad and was growing up in Japan, um, which for anybody who knows Japan, um, that's kind of a problem already, or kind of a, it, it's an issue because Japan's a very homogenous country where everybody kind of looks the same. Anyway, so the, the mum would speak to their daughter in Japanese and the dad, who's a native English American speaker, would also speak to her in Japanese. And his Japanese was not great. It was okay, but it was um, not particularly good. And when I asked him why, that there were a few people there at this dinner who kind of asked him, why, why, do you, why don't you speak to your daughter in English? And he said, well, because it's going to confuse her. You know, she should just speak Japanese. So she's not at a disadvantage in, in Japan. And, and I, also, I also suspect in this particular guy's case that he enjoyed the uh, the japanese practice himself which is incredibly selfish for him to kind of practice japanese with his daughter but the the, the net result here was that you got this this kid this lovely kid who already 
looks very, very different from everybody else in Japan where she's growing up. But who doesn't kind of have the, I don't know, almost the justification of, of speaking English. So she's growing up being in a situation where she's going to have a tough time from other kids in Japan. And then her dad could have taught her English. She could be a native fluent English speaker, but she hardly speaks a word of it because her dad um, refused to speak to her in English. And so this, so you've got this, a child who is going to be, she's going to kind of slightly be lost at sea when she's an adult. Mm -hmm. And I, it sounds kind of harsh to talk about it in those terms, but I've seen it happen before in, in, a, in quite a few different situations. And it's, it's really, really unfortunate because it would have been so easy for the dad to just decide that he's going to speak to her in English. And of course the big worry, right? Is that, well, what happens if, because she's learning two languages, she won't learn Japanese properly. So let's talk about that. Kids, I think could quite happily learn four or five languages as as native languages from from birth i have no hesitation whatsoever in saying that now practically speaking that's probably usually not going to happen because if you're going to learn a language you know have to have lots of time with the language right so um if your parent if you have bilingual parents then you know it's very common to have bilingual kids so the mum speaks chinese the dad speaks english whatever now, here in the UK, you often have a situation where the mum speaks Chinese, the dad speaks, I don't know, Italian, and they're growing up in the UK, so they also get English. So kids learn, they grow up speaking three languages. I know um, some friends of mine in Canada, the dad is Japanese, the mum is Chinese, they go to French-speaking school, they watch TV in English, and the babysitter is German. And, they, and both of the kids speak five languages each. They speak those, those same languages and they are smart. They're intelligent. They are not, no disadvantages to anybody else. And, um, you know, in my particular case, you know, my daughter is um, kind of, she, she's bilingual English and, uh, and Cantonese speaking. I also teach her bits of Spanish here and there. And she picks up words of Japanese when we go on holiday there. And, you know, she, you, you wouldn't, be able to convince anybody that she's at any kind of disadvantage. She's as fluent in her native languages as, as any other kids. If anything, she's further, she's more advanced. And um, it, it simply doesn't stack up. The only thing that is sometimes true, and this is observable, and I think this is possibly where some of these kind of led these, uh, these, these myths come about, is that sometimes if a kid grows up with parents speaking two languages, they can actually start speaking a little bit later. So they can actually, their speech can actually be a bit delayed. So, you know, whereas an, a, an average kid might start speaking when they're like one and a half or two, for example, a bilingual kid might not start, start speaking until they're three. That happens. I think it's quite rare, but it does happen. And so sometimes that kind of freaks people out because they think, well, that's, that's not good for their development. But in just the same way as kids speak their mother language at different stages. You know, some kids don't really start speaking until they're two and a half, three, or even four. It all comes out in the wash once they're five or six years old and they're at school and they're, and they're speaking with all their, all their friends and they're, and they're learning. And, and so it is with foreign languages. You know, even if they, start to, if they start speaking slightly later than normal, they will very, very quickly catch up with everybody else. And yet they'll have 
the huge life advantage of having two languages. And when you speak two languages as a kid, you have better, you're, you're more creative. You, you have better problem solving skills. You have high levels of empathy. The, 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 the list of life benefits is as long as your arm. And I think it's one of the greatest gifts you can, you can give to, uh, to, to a kid. And it's just simply not true to, to suggest that they will learn any slower um, if, if you try to teach them more than one language. And um, I think for proof of this, I'd like to send you to a video I recorded. It's, uh, it's actually on the front of my, of my YouTube channel. I sat down with a kid called Yuki in Spain, who at the time was seven years old. And she is the cutest thing on the face of the earth. And you'll see what I mean when you see this video. And we speak in Spanish, Japanese, English, German, and sign language. And she's seven. And you can see this on the video. We go through each of these languages. And, you know, you, you watch that video and try telling me that she is at any kind of disadvantage whatsoever. And it's, it's impossible. And you, you look at that kid speaking those languages and you think, wow, that is one hell of a, of a start in life to give, to give a kid. So that was a very long answer to the question. That I guess I could just sum summarize it by saying no. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. But it, it's good to dig into these things because these are these these limiting belief patterns that people have, these these stumbling blocks that that prevent them from making progress and doing things that they want or or giving the child the advantage. Um, I guess a follow up question to this would be: What about the phenomenon of like Spanglish, where someone speaking? English and Spanish, and, and I, I, I'm sure there's phrases for other mixed languages, but because we've spoke about Spanish so much in this episode, we might as well stick with this. Um, what about Spanglish, where you know someone thinks something, doesn't have the word in English, and then replaces it with a Spanish word, or vice versa? Yeah, this happens in a number of places around the world. I mean, you have Singlish in Singapore. Where, which, is a, which is a kind of very interesting variety of, of English where it's kind of mixed with Chinese. And um, you're right, yeah, so you'll have people speaking English and then saying la at the end of every, of every sentence, like you would in, a, in Cantonese or something. Um, well, the, the, the thing about these varieties is that actually it is, you, you could look at that and say, well, this is just people mixing up two languages because they don't speak either one of them very well. But actually, most of the time, this is actually, these kind of languages have developed as their own dialects. So if you go to places like Miami, um, you know, you'll get Spanish, this kind of Spanglish being spoken and you, you could, you know, you can, I can, I can see why it's sort of seen as a negative or as a kind of, um, as a unfinished or uncomplete version of, a, of either Spanish or English. But actually that's the reality of the way people speak there because of the mixed cultures. You've got, um, you've got languages starting to morph together and even the Spanish changes. So for example, um, you, Spanish will start to adopt English words in the U S in particular. So for example, you know, it's to say to park a car is estacionar, at least in Spain, you say estacionar. Um, I don't know what it is in Latin America, but then you've got a verb in Spanish speaking communities in, in, in the U S which is parcar. I'm not sure if it's parcar or parquear, it's basically you take the word to park, steal that from the English, and then add ar on the end in Spanish to make it into a Spanish verb, 
which I mean, I don't, for me, that's really, that's a kind of an ugly, an ugly word. Uh, but that's what happens when communities are, are when, when, when you get this, when you get these communities, um, you know, kind of coexisting and evolving. And, and so what sounds to us like a, almost like a kind of bastardization of a language is actually the reality of the language in that local community. So, um, so, so, you know, it, it is, I, I don't think it's, uh, you can look at this. You can look at this in lots of different ways, um, but you know, if one word is particularly common somewhere, then that's just that's just the word it's used. You hear this a lot in Cantonese communities. So, for example, in Hong Kong, it's a very interesting linguistic case study. You know, so in 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 Hong Kong, the the language is Cantonese, but Hong Kong was an English colony, British colony for um, 150 years or so, and so they also. In Hong Kong, grew up with any any educated person in Hong Kong has grown up speaking English. The the until 1996, they had the English or <clears throat> the British legal system as well. If you go there, the street signs look like the UK. It's a it's kind of a real mix of cultures there. And so what you'll what you'll find um, being in around sort of educated people in in Hong Kong is that every other word is is English because it turns out that, that it's easier to use the word. Um, for example, um, what would be a good example? I don't know. Um, if they're talking about a, a, a particular document or, or a file they have to find, or a, a government department, they'll use the English word because it's just because the Chinese word is just some kind of formal abstraction. <laughs> they're much more used to using the English word. Uh, in London, you've got lots of Brazilians, and Brazilians will use the English. They'll be speaking Portuguese. Um, and they'll be saying, ah, yeah, cara, outro dia eu fui no, no bar e eu conheci um cara, mas anyway, eu, eu falei com ele. And they'll use the word anyway from English because anyway doesn't exist in Portuguese. And it's a really useful word. And so that you'll get people speaking Portuguese using the word anyway. But people are borrowing from other languages all the time, and it's absolutely fascinating. Linguistically, it's just great to see what kind of words don't exist in other languages but could, could, but could be borrowed for for effect well because i think that so many parents would be worried about seeing their kid like mix the two languages and 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 bastardize them that they wouldn't be able to keep them straight but i think of my own life you know living in the middle east like i said i don't speak arabic but i probably speak 50 words of arabic and although in my house i speak to my wife in english we also throw in the random arabic word I never say, okay, let's go. I'll say, yalla. I'll, I'll never say, okay, finished. I'll say, halas. Like, I talk to my mom who lives with me, who is a Canadian, who taught me English. I grew up with my mother. I speak to her now with Arabic words thrown in. Yeah, and you probably even find the order, inshallah, creeping in there as well from time to time. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, she's been over here for three years, so now she understands and like that's just how we speak to each other now we just have random arabic words when i lived in singapore singapore is actually a great example i didn't even think about it but that's a mixture of english hokkien tiaochu uh cantonese mandarin tamil uh malay all thrown into one big blender and turned on and like it's it's so funny because you can pick out all of those words and I have to be so careful because I lived there and I spent so much time with Malaysians and Singaporeans 
that sometimes I'll go to say a word to my mother and father-in-law who don't speak a word of English. I'll go to say a word to them that I think is Mandarin, but it's actually Hokkien or it's actually Cantonese. Right, and this goes to the reality of where wherever it is you're you're living. So our daughter, you know, she will mix English and Cantonese. So um, she might ask me, "Daddy, are they coming at home in nursery?" Are so it's like, "Daddy, are we going to nursery today?" Well, it's yeah, and um, so she's using "daddy," which is an English word, and she's using "nursery," which is an English word, and the rest of it is Cantonese. So you so you could you know you could look at that and say, "Oh well, you know, she's mixing those two languages." Well, I think this goes back to your original point where. You're learning the language to communicate with someone, and if the person understands what you're trying to say, and and they understand you, then does it really matter? Well, that's it. That's that's exactly it. And of course, the words that you do use in different languages are only the words that you need right now. You know, when she's six, five, or six years old, she'll never use the word nursery again until she has kids, right? So, um, so then. What does it matter if she knows the words in in English or Cantonese? But if she's, but if, here's the important thing: if she's literate, if she's educated, then she will go and she will speak to Cantonese people. She'll read Cantonese. She'll she'll study in Cantonese, and then she will learn the word <coughs> nursery in Cantonese at some point anyway, when it's relevant to her, and she'll have the the ability and the capacity to do that, uh, specifically because she has she, she's learned the language. So the language is always going to adapt. It's always going to change. And, um, you know, if, 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 um, if, uh, if one day she, she, she needs to learn different words or her reality changes, then she will adapt with that. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. Problems. You, you're always going to find problems where you look for them, but on the whole, I think, you know, the, the, when it comes to kids, the benefits, cognitive, social, so on of, having a second language are so immense that I think it's a, it is a, it, it, it's, it's the best gift you can give them. And also for parents, it's also worth bearing in mind that when kids get older, they will turn around and ask you, daddy, why didn't you teach me this language? And I have, I have a lot, I meet a lot of people who are in that situation. My friends, Zena in California, her mum's Chinese. And um, she, she grew up speaking, apparently she grew up speaking perfect. Chinese until the age of five or six. And then her mum one day decided to stop speaking to her in Chinese and just speak English so that she could, you know, in theory, get on better at school. And now Zena, she talks to her mum and says, Mum, why, why did you stop speaking to me in Mandarin? I, do you realise how hard it's going to be for me to learn Mandarin now? I've got to spend 10 years of my life learning it, whereas you could have given it to me for free. Your kids will turn around and ask you this in the future. And so you, you've got to have an answer. You've got to be ready with an answer uh, if you decide not to, not to teach it to them. Well, for our family, what we're doing is, as a family, we speak English. Like if we're at the dinner table, we speak English. Um, when my wife talks to my daughter, she only speaks Mandarin, no matter what. Like, it's like law. And, and although I speak a good amount of Mandarin, I never speak to my daughter in Mandarin. I only speak to her in English. And now we're moving to Panama, like I said earlier, which in the community, she will get Spanish. Like we'll have a maid. We'll make sure the maid only speaks Spanish, and that'll be on purpose to actually force us. So we're really trying to do Chinese and English both as mother tongues, both as primary languages, not one a first language and a second language. Spanish and other languages that will come after, those will be the second language. But I think it's important that people understand you can have two mother tongues. 
that that's that's so cool and she will you, you'll see she will pick up spanish um like water off a duck's back no that's that's not wrong that's not the right analogy she'll she'll pick up spanish like uh what's the what's the what's the what's the phrase um will be she'll she'll yeah she'll 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 walk it she'll pick it up really really uh, really really easily um because because it will be a reality you know she'll, you'll have a have a maid or 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 whatever the right word is um and um and she will she will form a relationship with that person and she'll get to know that person and she'll learn the language through that and um, and you'll see she'll be speaking english and, and mandarin and spanish and you'll you'll be jealous <laughs> of how well she's doing you'll look on in amazement as, as you see her learning these languages brilliant so ali okay we've talked about spanish today that you have a course in spanish what other languages do you offer courses in and where can people find them yeah so the best thing to do is to go over to my website i will teach you a language.com and there you, there's a, a menu at the top where you can pick the language you're interested in um browse through then you'll, that'll take you to another menu where you can click to see all the courses that we have so our uncovered courses which are our beginners courses we have currently in spanish french german and italian um i also have um, a number of programs for intermediate learners so for to to help you with uh, listening skills with grammar things like that we teach all of these different things through story so we teach you grammar through story listening skills through story all of that i also have a, a best-selling series of uh, short story books which are available on amazon so we have short stories in all these different languages at different levels um, those are also available in bookshops available in fine bookshops everywhere if you uh, just look for um well i guess uh, in the languages section, you find short stories in Spanish for beginners and, and, and uh, in lots of different languages as well. They're also on Amazon. And um, so, yeah, just have a, have a browse. Everything is there on my website, so you can have a look at that. Um, you can also find me on Instagram, on YouTube, various other social places, wherever you like to get your, your, your content. Perfect. So that's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com. And I'll make sure I put all the links to this under Ollie Richards' episode at expatmoneyshow.com. Ollie, thank you so much for breaking us all down for me. I've learned so much, and I just absolutely love today's conversation. So thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. No, it's been great fun. I also really enjoyed it, and um, thanks for asking such good questions as well because it, um, you know, it gives us interesting stuff to talk about. Perfect. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, then. Cheers. To learn Spanish the same way my family and I are doing it, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish and claim your $100 off the cover price. Ollie Richards' teaching methods are fun and enjoyable, and an hour of study goes by in no time flat. We are making great progress and loving the experience. So, if you are an expat or you want to be an expat, and your language skills are not as good as they could be, I suggest you go and check out the work that Ollie Richards does. As a listener of the Expat Money Show, you get $100 off the cover price for his beginner courses. For Spanish, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Spanish. For Italian, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash Italian. And for French, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash French. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. 
I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.